You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Hello and welcome again. It's Noah Rosenfarb for the Exit Strategy Podcast. Here today with Jock Pertel, who's the owner of DigitalExits.com, a full-service website brokerage firm. They help online business owners find a buyer when they want to exit their company. And not only did he personally exit his online business in 2013, but he's now on track to facilitate over 20 deals in 2014, ranging in size from 100,000 to upwards of 5 million. And today, I'm excited to talk about digital assets and websites. So, Jock, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, no pleasure. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, why don't you start by telling me, you know, based on your experience, what are the three things that owners of websites should do when they're thinking about selling it? So, the main three things that online business owners should be thinking about when selling would be to increase profitability, would be to diversify their traffic risk, and the third thing would be to clean up their books. Hmm. Yeah. I hear about cleaning up the books all the time. So how might that be different for a you know, digital company versus a, a, a brick-and-mortar business? Are the books and records typically kept in a certain format that you like to see? It's not different, but you know, a P&L is a P&L, whether it's online business or an offline business, just the fixed and variable costs would be different. When I say clean up the books, it's easy enough to do add-backs and, and add-ins when you're doing evaluation. However, it would be nice if a business owner came to me with 12 months worth of financials where they actually paid tax and they actually, you know, every expense was at market rate. They didn't run any discretionary expenses through the business. You know, it's, it's yet to happen and they're going to get a higher price. That's, that's basically the main reason is, you know, they just got to make more money. And, you know, sometimes when I talk about addbacks and commingling personal expenses with business expenses with owners, I try and look at it through the lens of valuation and say, if we could substantiate an extra $100,000 that we don't have to dispute with the, the next buyer, and as a result, you're going to pay, you know, 40 or 50 grand of income tax, but we get $500,000 more in value, then, you know, it's, it's worth paying the government at least for the year or two that you have to do it. In the website business, where are the multiples and where do the economics make sense? for the owners to, to kind of come clean and report things the way the government would really like to see it. So probably starting at a million dollar valuation, generally your smaller like online business, let's say sub 300 grand, is still owner operated. So it's generally more of a seller's discretionary income or earnings valuation, um, whereas the larger businesses, we start using a, an EBITDA valuation methodology. And also at the higher end of town, you're going to get a, a, a bigger multiple and the multiplier effect of, you know, stripping out 
hundred grand in expenses, you know, could make that difference between getting, you know, two hundred grand versus four hundred grand in, in extra income or, or sale price. You know, you were talking about not only cleaning up the P&L, but uh, diversifying traffic risk. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that means in, you know, in a layman's terms. Sure. So just for uh, everyone's benefit, a web property is has a, a little bit of a different asset class or asset classes within the business to make it work. So generally, an online business has traffic. Now, in an offline world, you'd call traffic, you'd call that foot traffic, or you'd call that phone calls, or you'd call that you know leads that a salesman has generated. In the online world, traffic is visitors from Google, visitors from paid online advertising. So the principle is the same, but the, uh, how it works out is a little bit different. Now, diversifying traffic means not being reliant on one traffic source that could easily disappear overnight. For example, you know, let's say your website was 100% reliant on Google traffic and Google decided to you know, update the algorithm or penalize your website and then overnight, you know, you're from going from 1,000 visitors a day to your website back to 100, automatically that's going to decrease your income as well. So mitigating the risk from for traffic or web traffic by adding you know, more legs to the table, you know, the same metaphor, is an important step. And just also buyers are paying more money for businesses that have diversified traffic sources. Yeah, and so uh, I learned this lesson the hard way with one of my digital assets where we were getting, uh, it was costing about $4 for an average lead based on our organic you know, traffic, from which was primarily being driven by Google. And then the algorithm changed and our, we lost about, uh, I would say, 80% of the lead flow. So all of a sudden our cost went up to $20 and you know, our pay-per-click, which was at 9 Kept, uh, continued to be a good source, but it, it dis- totally disrupted our business and our, our marketing methodology. And it took us, I would say, at least a year to get things back to the kind of balance we wanted, which was, you know, a balance between organic and paid and lesson learned the hard way for me, at least. Yeah. So do you see that with a lot of websites that are coming to you to represent them in a transaction, that they have uh, lopsided traffic flow? A lot of businesses who reliant on Google and that decreases their valuation because it obviously increases the risk. And yes, well, yes, I'm seeing a lot. Yes, I'm seeing a lot of that. And do you do, you know, along with the valuation, do you do any consulting for how to actually create the improvements or you just point out the weaknesses? Yes, we do. We generally just roll that up into our commission. So there's no actual formal consulting process. So let's say you had an e-commerce store and sold suitcases and, you know, you wanted to sell. You came to me with, you know, your business and the valuation came out at seven fifty. Uh, you said, you listen, I really want a million dollars for the business. And I said, turn around and say, well, you know, to get to a million dollars, you need to do this, 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 this and this in the next six months. And then basically we just, you know, converse over six months and get the business up to that scratch and then list it to sale. And just to let you know, you know, the value in that is I've been buying and selling and running online businesses since 2009. And the, you know, the main thing that I do or I look for in a business is an ability to increase conversion rates or make the marketing more efficient. So I'm generally good at increasing sales of businesses. 
and then you're rewarded on the back end in the valuation and the, the uh, yeah. Sake. yeah, that's a great business model. So what are the motivations behind most of the owners of the properties? And maybe I could then distinguish that between kind of the brick and mortar traditional companies that I deal with and what they're typically, the reasons they're typically selling. Uh, actually, I was having a conversation about this last night. Typically, it's the entrepreneur syndrome. You know, it's the, I've been running the business for three to four years and then I'm, you know, I'm bored and I want a new challenge. The next thing is the opportunity syndrome, which is, you know, I've got this really other good opportunity and I want to use the cash, then invest in that next opportunity. And then the third thing is generally the flatlining or declining problem, which is either I've taken the business as far as I can or the business is now declining and I want to jump ship or shit hits. Yeah, and I would say that most of the kind of traditional mainline entrepreneurs that I deal with that are in their 50s and 60s and early 70s, that you know they're exiting because of health issues, family issues. You know they're tired of running the business; it's not fun for them anymore, and they think there's something more fun for them out there. And I would say that's a, a really big contrast. And when owners are thinking about acquiring web properties, because I've had a, a few conversations with owners that I've suggested acquire websites as part of their asset allocation, they don't get why these owners sell. They're like, wait a minute, this guy's making 350 grand. He's working four hours a week on it. Why does he want out? You know, they can't grasp it. So how might you describe that to a buyer that doesn't really, you know, they think that the seller's in the catbird seat, why would they get out of it? I'm probably the perfect example for that. You know, I had a network of affiliate sites that just ticked along and made cash, but the opportunity cost and the my perceived risk was too high. And it was basically, you know, let's cash out and let's let's redeploy this cash in a better manner. So that, that was my perspective. And then the guys that are like that sometimes can be the guys that are good at building the businesses. They get to a certain point where they can't build them anymore and then they're like, okay, well, it's time to build another business. Just because the barrier to entry is so low, the barrier to entry is so low in the online space, it's easy for them to go ahead and, you know, build another business or buy another business and scale that, whereas it's a lot harder in the offline world to, you know, build a business from scratch. And I think a lot of it comes from kind of the baby boomer mentality versus the Gen Y mentality around life and opportunities and, and when, what third of your life are you in? You know, is this the work third or is it the relaxing third? And, you know, I think the Gen X and Gen Y tend to have a bit of a different blend of those two areas. So tell me about the reasons why maybe a baby boomer would want to own a website and take advantage of, you know, this new technology and the, the, maybe what I perceive and you could describe as some valuations being low in comparison to other asset classes. Let's answer the first question first. Most businesses are relocatable and can be run from anywhere in the world. Generally, they have less fixed costs and less staffing costs. A lot of the systems and processes can be automated with software and SOPs. And generally, they're just less of a hassle to run, you know, less moving parts, so there's less friction. And I think that is an added advantage for, you know, a baby boomer that wants to, you know, work a Still work, still keep their brain active, but hone down the uh, amount of work that they're doing. So that's probably the main benefits. And in terms of valuation multiples, online businesses are starting to increase in value. Just last year, they overtook offline businesses in terms of average for sale multiple. So I would say getting now while the multiples are still relatively competitive because they're only going to increase over time. 
as more buyers move into the market. The larger capital markets have still yet to wake up to the benefits of acquiring online businesses. They know they're there, but they still don't understand them enough. You know, they could see lots of companies spitting off a lot of cash, but they think the risk is still too high. So I think that the next year or two is, you know, the perfect time to acquire to get, you know, get a good deal. Generally, on average, they're selling for 2.7 times net earnings, and that's generally a seller's discretionary earnings multiple. So it'd probably be a little bit higher on a on an EBITDA multiple. But they're still very cheap compared to other asset classes, and you, you know, it's, you're still going to get a hell of a lot quicker return on investment than sticking the money in the bank or sticking the money in shares or sticking the money in property. I think the best story that I've heard was a financial advisor that I know who had an internet client that had the opportunity to buy a property deal at literally half the market value and he passed on it for the sole reason that he could get better returns in his internet business than he could in the property market. So talk to me a little bit about valuation and your experience in property valuation with, you know, internet properties, you know, certain asset class. Generally, your commercial property is going to get I don't know, like a 10% return. Internet properties can anywhere be anywhere from 30% return to a 100% return. So logically, the return on investment is there. The risk is also inherent. However, like everything, you know, educate yourself on the risk and then the risk mitigates. In terms, yes, if you can educate yourself on the process or find someone that can help you acquire an online asset, it's in my opinion that you're going to get a hell of a lot better return than any traditional asset class with a lot less stress. Who do you see as the main buyers and who are the main sellers? Are you working predominantly with younger entrepreneurs that are still growing their you know, entrepreneurial book of business? So the main buyers, I'll just give you the, the rundown based on the price point. So sub $200,000, there's a lot of corporate guys that want to buy a business and there's also a sprinkling of internet entrepreneurs. Sort of 200000 to a million dollar valuation is a combination of uh, online entrepreneurs themselves and then also larger high net worth offline entrepreneurs. That also is true for like the million to five million dollar valuation range, but also in that range you start to get smaller like family offices, little PE firms that are in the tech space and, you know, more higher caliber uh, online, such online, offline entrepreneurs. That's the type of buyer that are acquiring uh, these assets. And a lot of baby boomers are playing in that sub $200,000 valuation range. Yeah. And then on the private equity side, are you seeing, you know, any industry trends, any significant movement of capital moving into this space? Not yet, not yet. They haven't woken up to the, the value of the assets yet, or they do know about it, but they still are yet to play in the market and, you know, take a punt. Yeah. So what have you seen as some of the kind of main trends, you know, from starting with kind of your own personal ownership of Internet assets and now into your brokerage of, of Internet assets? What do you see as some of the main themes that you expect to continue and what do you see as some things that you know have changed over time but are now leveling out? I've seen a greater influx of small e-commerce stores lately. I've seen a greater movement of capital coming from New York. Uh, we're talking about that today in terms of buyers. Actually, the, the type of phraseology that buyers are using are things like, 
recurring, passive, repeat sales, hands off. So, you know, the type of buyer that is looking to acquire an online asset, that's the mindset that they're coming in with. I've seen a lower tolerance for higher risk sites than maybe three or four years ago. I've seen some consolidation in a few markets. So people are starting to roll up, you know, certain verticals. I've seen the valuation multiples increase as the demand has increased. I've seen a lot more stock come on the market as well. Um, you still, it's, it's, it's still hard to find, um, it's like, like anything, it's still hard to find the perfect deal. You know, some, some of my investors have been sitting on their hands for 12 months, whereas some of them, you know, snap up sites, you know, a week or two after starting to look. So it really depends on your, your investment profile and your, your risk tolerance. Probably the main things that I can think of off the top of my head now in terms of the market in general. Yeah. And how do you see traditional brick and mortar businesses, if, if you do see it, how do you see them as part of their, you know, core offering of their business to, to both enhance their revenue stream, enhance their opportunity, and also bring their business into kind of the modern age? Do you see, you know, a traditional retail store that sells suitcases wanting to go after and buy that online suitcase retailer? Yeah, that would be smart if they did, but a lot of business owners are stuck in their old ways and aren't happy to innovate. And it's the guys that have innovated that are making a lot of the cash. So that type of retail business model is what we call click and mortar. So essentially, they've got a an, an offline presence with their warehouse and distribution, but their main marketing channel is online. And those types of businesses are, I think, the business of the future. I think those types of businesses are definitely out-competing the, the general retail store just because of the lower fixed costs. In terms of if an online entrepreneur wanted to, you know, get up with the times, I think that firstly focusing on your online marketing would be step one and getting that up to scratch. You know, I think I don't need to educate everyone on the benefits of, uh, you know, of marketing online. What I do think is if there's an integration opportunity, there is an opportunity there for a traditional brick and mortar buy to acquire into online and that can be a fast track, you know, a fast track to to success or to quicker returns. So I definitely think there's an opportunity there for an offline business owner to acquire an online business that can complement their company. And do you see any of the sellers wanting to sell to us, you know, what I might refer to as a strategic acquirer, you know, take the brick and mortar, make them click and mortar, and then hang around with them and grow the grow both sides of the business together? Or do, you, do you find that most of the people, if they're selling their own, they want out for one of the reasons that you had suggested before. Nine times out of ten, they want out. It's the smart guys that keep equity in the acquiring company that make a lot of cash. Best example is business.com. The guy sold out in 2003, I think, for about $10 million. He had 10% equity, and then they exited in 2007 or eight for about $600 million. So, you know, he'd obviously taken the business to as far as he could personally, and then kept some equity in the new company to, you know, take advantage of take advantage of that and obviously you help them, you know, with the business. So short answer is no, they don't, but there's a benefit of doing it. Well one of the, one of the things you just mentioned, you know, business dot com. So that brings up a, an interesting question that I am curious about, which is what's the value of the domain name versus the value of the website? And 
You know, how do those two things differ? And can someone sell their domain name and yet keep the operating business and, and give it a new URL or vice versa? The domain doesn't add any value, extra value to the business. It's like traditional business valuations, you know, just because we've got certain types of assets in the business don't actually add value to the business. It's the assets of the business that help generate the cash flow and the cash flow that gets, that gets valued. The benefit of having a category domain name like business.com would be it would generally get you a little bit more, more traffic just naturally and then also conversion rate of prospect to customer would be higher just around the brand value of having a domain like business.com or probably a better example would be something like bowlingballs.com or tennisshoes.com. You know, if the site's dedicated to tennis shoes, then there's a natural affinity that, you know, this this business is the authority on that, you know, product vertical. So I had heard the uh, the founder of headsets.com talk about, I think he paid $2 million for the headsets.com URL, you know, after his business was already operational. He said, you know, it ended up costing him like $50,000 a month to finance that acquisition price. And, you know, he figured it would be accretive over time in terms of his profitability. And, you know, he did the calculus and it turned out to be true. So do you try and represent sellers of, you know, just domain assets that that aren't monetizing them? Or are you always selling operating businesses? Uh, Always selling operating businesses. I generally have a uh, joint venture with the domain broker who sells the domain. And what's your take on domain valuations? You know, as as you said, if they're if right now they produce some traffic, but they're not selling anything on the site, you know, is it is it a property worth buying if it's a category leading domain? I'm uh, probably not the best person to talk to regarding domain valuations, but I do think there's a benefit in buying the category domain for your business line. Yeah, at the right price. <laughs> of course, everything's at the wrong price. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the other things you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, maybe talk to the advisors, to the business owners first, and then start talking directly to the business owners that listen to our call around websites. What are some of the facts they should be thinking about and considering as they, you know, move forward in their own plans for how to run and grow and ultimately transfer their business? Yeah. If we go with the advisors first, it's probably an asset class that you haven't considered. And if you go to my site, you know, I've published a lot of content on the buying process that you can get up to scratch on and your clients can get up to scratch on. You're definitely getting a lot better returns than your traditional businesses. And when I say returns, you're probably getting a better return on investment with an offline business, but the scalability and growth potential of an online business outstrips that of an offline business. So that's probably the main thing is the speed of speed of growth just through the ability to buy customers, acquire traffic or the above. In terms of acquisitions, I probably might throw this question over to you. What would be the main questions that they would have if they're advising someone on an acquisition for an on for an offline sorry, an online business? No? What would be the main questions that the, the buyer would have or, or the owner? No, the advisor would have. I, you know, I think most advisors want to know, should they be encouraging clients to look at this asset class? You know, what are the risks in this asset class and how do they differ from what they're most familiar with, which is 
buying the guy down the street that's in the same business and taking out a competitor or buying your supplier or buying your customer, you know, and, and doing some vertical integration. Those are the things that most advisors have grown up seeing, doing, and learning about. And here we are in this new digital age where there's this whole online business and, you know, most people that are over 50, it's not part of their nature to understand how this is working because they didn't grow up in this environment and it's happening fast and the change is, you know, rapid. And so a lot of them perceive all of the risk factors. Hey, this thing's changing so quickly. I don't have you know, domain expertise in the literal sense of I don't understand online business. How can I get that expertise so I could be competent enough to advise my clients? Yeah. Come talk to me. Uh, read my site. Uh, that would probably be the main thing. Um, there's a couple of forums out there like experiencedpeople.net that they can get up to scratch on the, you know, the values, the processes, all the above on online businesses. I found that the traditional, to be honest, the traditional route of acquiring your competitor, et cetera, is still a good play. Like I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is if you want to diversify your investments, have a, you know, have a look at online. And if you want to innovate, have a look at acquiring an, an online business to either vertically or horizontally integrate your current or your client's current business. How about, you know, accessing the opportunities in the online world via, you know, the traditional ways capital gets allocated that's through indirect ownership? You know, are there private equity funds that are out there doing this? Are there publicly traded companies that are out there aggregating? Are there bigger players in the space that have more traditional opportunities for high net worth individuals and families to get access? Uh, There are. I wrote an article called The Ultimate Website Selling Guide and I've actually listed all the larger publicly listed companies that roll up and acquire online businesses. So that traditional model of roll up and consolidation has been applied to the online space and reasonably successfully. So yeah, short answer is yes, there's already companies, larger companies out there that you know you can take advantage maybe buying up some shares in their company, et cetera, rather than, you know, buying an online business yourself. Yeah. So we'll make sure to link up to that in the transcript to the podcast, which is on the Divestopedia website. So if you're listening on iTunes or you've downloaded this recording and you want to access Jock's information, uh, you could go right to his website, digitalbits.com, or you could land on Divestopedia, and we'll have a link there where you could download that information. So, Jock, what else do you want to share before we say goodbye to the audience? You said some quick tips on the sell side. I, don't, I, I think the main uh, the main thing is exactly the same, or the, the main tactic is exactly the same as you know rolling up and or getting an offline business ready to sale. I would just say that the process is probably quicker on the sell side than an offline business. And that's probably the commentary I have on that. In terms of any closing notes. I think you should start educating, if if you're really interested in this topic, start educating yourself about it because it's only going to grow. And I also run a weekly podcast where I interview people on the buying, building and selling process. That's called the Digital Exits Podcast. So, uh, no, we'll chuck a note of that in the show notes for you as well to have a listen to and just get yourself educated on the process and uh, it won't seem as daunting. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Jock, if they want to learn more about acquiring a website, selling a website, or they need help with evaluation, uh, I know they could go to digitalexits.com, but any other ways to contact you that you'd like to share? 
yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn or you, you'll find me through the site. Just send me an email or send an evaluation request and I'll get in touch with you. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show and sharing all this uh, you know, new information in a new world. I hope our listeners enjoy the content. Please share your feedback on iTunes. Never hesitate to email me, Noah, at freedomadv.com. Let me know what you think of the show. Give me some recommendations for guests if you have them. I always like hearing your questions and comments and hope to have you with us again on another episode of the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.